morning. Thank you for leading us, Kelly. We appreciate the, uh, the songs. It's good to have you back, and uh, Sonia, too. <laughs> good to see everyone here this morning. In the uh, early years of our ministry in St. Louis, I taught and baptized a couple. I don't exactly remember their names, but I'm going to call them Lou and Loretta. I think the Loretta part is right. Lou, I'm guessing. But Lou and Loretta were a couple, as, as we would have said back in those days, who were right straight out of the world. They didn't have any Christian background. They didn't have any Christian moral values or anything of that nature. And teaching them was quite a, a challenge, especially Lou. Lou had a gambling problem. And uh, it, it took a lot of uh, persuasion to convince him that that was not something that a Christian ought to do. But one of the things I remember about Lou was his zeal. When he finally decided that he was going to follow Christ, he, he just was so excited about it and so zealous about it. And he wanted to get involved and he wanted to do anything and everything that he possibly could do. And one of the things he wanted to do was to teach other people about Christ as he had been taught. And so he, he came to me one day, and, and back then, some of you will remember this, and if you do, try not to wince when I say it because everybody will know how old you are, but back in those days, the uh, personal evangelism method of choice was the Jewel Miller film strips, okay? Some, yeah, some say, everybody's sitting there enough, scared to death to admit, you remember those. Jewel Miller film strips was kind of a, uh, it was a five-lesson survey of the Bible designed to teach somebody about Christ and about what the Bible was all about. And, and it, uh, you would show those uh, one at a time, once a week, uh, over a period of hopefully of just five weeks to, to people, and, uh, and in that way teach them the gospel. And a lot of people were brought to Christ through that methodology. And, and I had taught Lou and Loretta using those old film strips and and so Lou came to me one Sunday, and he said, can I borrow those film strips? And I said, sure. He said, I, I want to teach my family. I want to teach my relatives. He said, I've, I've gotten them to agree to all get together at my brother's house on, on Friday night, and, and you know, we're going to see those film strips. I said, okay, great. So I let him have the film strips. And I thought, this, this is wonderful that he's wanting to do this so soon. And so he, he came back Sunday, and he was a little bit forlorn. And I said, so how did it go? And he said, well, you know, it... it, it would have been okay, but he said, they just, they just acted really tired. And, and I said, why? And he said, well, you know, it took five hours. <laughs> and I said, Lou, you didn't show them all five at one time, did you? And he said, well, yeah, I thought that's what we were supposed to do. <laughs> and, and I thought, no, no, that's not it. And I tried to explain to him. But, you know, you have to appreciate his zeal. At least he tried. Uh, he erred on the side of trying. And the kind of zeal that Lou had really shouldn't be that unusual. You know, a, a little zeal without knowledge can be dangerous, but knowledge without zeal is just dead. And, and so it shouldn't be that unusual for Christians to have the kind of zeal that Lou had. In fact, in Romans 12, 8, as you heard read a minute ago, as part of presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, Paul says those who lead should do so with zeal, and then just a few verses later in verse 11, he expands that to all believers. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Now, the word in the original that underlies this word for, for zeal combines the ideas of haste and zeal. There's, a, there's an urgency about it. A person who is zealous is a person who is quick to act. A person who is always ready to act. A person who is determined to do what needs to be done and what, what ought to be done. That's how you and I ought to always be when it comes to doing good. Paul says that in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Ready for every good work. Zealous. And the idea is that we can't wait to jump in and do good. When we see a need, we act on it. When we hear about a ministry that needs workers, we're ready to become one of them. We are ready for every good work. We are quick to act. But you notice Paul also says in Romans 12, we're to be fervent in spirit. And that's an interesting word because it means literally to boil. That word could be used of food and was used in the ancient world to describe food that had been prepared by boiling. We are supposed to be boiling in spirit. We are supposed to be ready we are supposed to have an enthusiasm that is barely kept in check. We have an example of that in the New Testament in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 and 25. It's a man by the name of Apollos. Here's what Acts says about him. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. And you get that? His knowledge was imperfect. His understanding of the gospel was inadequate. It was imperfect. But that didn't keep him from speaking up. That didn't keep him from trying to tell other people about the Christ that he had learned about. He, in, even with his limited information, even with his limited knowledge, he was fervent in spirit and teaching. And so Priscilla and Aquila, this Christian couple, took him aside and the Bible says explained to him more accurately the way of God and then he really became a force for good. His zeal did not wane. His zeal did not flag at all. He became a powerful force for good. And that's what Paul is telling the Romans that all Christians ought to be. We ought to all be fervent in spirit. We ought to all be ready to do whatever we can, whenever we can, to do good to others and to promote the cause of Christ. Now, Paul was a man who knew something about zeal. Paul knew something about zeal. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 6, he said as he was giving his spiritual pedigree to the Christians in Philippi that he says as to zeal a persecutor of the church. He said, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew born of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a, a Pharisee as to zeal a persecutor of the church. He was so zealous about his Jewish faith that he persecuted Christians. He thought it was the right thing to do. And he wouldn't hold back in doing it. In fact, he says in Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own people. 
So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of our fathers. He said, I was so zealous to protect my heritage, to protect my faith, to protect what I believed was right, that I was a violent persecutor. Paul knew something about zeal. Was it misdirected? Yes, and he came to realize that. But when Paul became a follower of Jesus, he didn't check his zeal at the door. He who had been such a violent opponent of the faith became its greatest proponent. And he just as zealously spent his life proclaiming the message that he tried to eradicate. He was fervent in spirit. And he's telling us, be fervent in spirit. That's very different from what's rapidly becoming the norm in American society today. It's very different. We've all heard about the large numbers of people who are leaving their jobs because they just want to do something else. Some are leaving their jobs because they don't want to do anything else. They're just leaving. And that's caused a worker shortage. And we hear about that all the time. We're all well aware of it. It affects us all in various ways. But have you heard about what's being called the quiet quitters? Have you heard about the, the folks who are being described and are describing themselves that way as quiet quitters? They, they don't leave their jobs. They stay in their jobs, but they have made a conscious decision not to do their best. They made a conscious decision not to do anything more than they have to do. They do just enough to meet the requirements of the job and to get by and no more. A recent Gallup poll says that half, at least half, of all American workers are quiet quitters. Those are the ones who acknowledge it. And the pollsters say it's probably much more than that because there are likely people who won't admit it. But they've made a conscious decision not to do their best. And that probably explains why you've noticed service being so bad in some settings. It's not that the workers aren't there. It's just they're not trying to do their best. They've just made a decision not to. Do you suppose there's a danger that we can become quiet quitters in the church? Do you suppose that's a possibility? Do you suppose that we we might come to a conclusion, whether consciously or not, that we're just going to do the minimum of what we think our Christian job description requires. Just enough what we think we have to do to get by so we don't fall under the wrath of God. Just a decision that we're not going to be more involved than we, than we have to be. If so, Paul says that's wrong. You know, we don't have a minimalist faith. Scripture doesn't teach a minimalist faith. It doesn't make allowances for quiet quitting in the kingdom. Instead, it teaches, as we have just seen, that we are to serve the Lord with zeal, that we are to be fervent in spirit like Apollos. And also, it teaches us that we're supposed to do our best at whatever we do. Whether it's what we're doing in the church or whether it's what we're doing at work or whether it's what we're doing at home or anywhere or anything else, we're supposed to be doing our very best. 
Paul said that in Colossians 3 and verse 17. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, you've heard that, I know, but what does it mean? What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does it mean to do your job in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does it mean to be a, a husband or a father or a wife or a mother or a child in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does it mean to serve in the church in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does it mean to do anything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, it means simply to do it as his representative. To do it as his representative. We do it as though we were doing it for him. Because we are. N.T. Wright suggests that we ought to think of it this way. No matter what you're doing, think of yourself as standing under a banner that says, in the name of the Lord Jesus. That that banner is just following you wherever you go. It's over your head, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So whatever you're doing, you're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever we do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of of the Lord Jesus. Now that includes what we do as individuals, includes what we do as the church. We ought to be striving to do our best. We need to be striving for excellence. We need to be striving for excellence, not mediocrity. Not the minimum, not the least, but the excellence. Doing our best, whatever we do in word or deed, doing it in the name of the Lord. And so that, that means if you're teaching a class, are you cutting the grass? Are you giving food to the needy? Or the worship that we're offering up? Are you preparing a classroom for your class? Or you're greeting people who come to worship? Or you're taking care of the appearance of the buildings? Or you're caring for children? Or whatever it is, everything that we do, we need to be striving for excellence in that. We need to be striving to do it in the very best way that we can do. I recently was reading a book by Bob Russell, who was the uh, former minister of the Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Huge congregation. And he says in that book that they had a slogan at Southeast. And it says, if it bears his name, it's worth our best. If it bears his name, it's worth our best. If we're doing it as the church of Christ, if we're doing it as the body of Christ, if we're doing it as followers of Jesus Christ, it deserves the best that we can give it. The question we ought to be asking always is not, what's the easiest thing we can do? Or what's the cheapest thing we can do? The question ought to always be, what is the best thing we can do? And what's the best way we can do it? When Linda and I lived in Texas, one of our deacons was our full-time custodian. His name was Hooley White. His name wasn't really Hooley, it was Hugo. But he was called Hooley. Everybody knew him as Hooley. He was a character. He was also a perfectionist. He was in charge of taking care of the whole facility, and it was a big facility. And he took care of it all by himself. And he wanted it to be the best all the time. He was especially proud of the lawn. Now this is in West Texas, folks, where growing a lawn is, is about like having a lawn out in that parking lot, okay? 
But the lawn in front of the Anson Church of Christ was the most beautiful lawn anywhere in that part of the state. It really was. The grass, he, he fertilized it and watered it so heavily that it was so thick, you could stand on it and your, your foot never got to the ground. The grass just held you up. Okay. He mowed it three times a week during, during the season, three times a week. Right, He made sure it was perfectly trimmed. He didn't ever want it to look like it needed attention. And so he gave it constant attention because he thought it was important that whatever we do as the church, we do the best that we can do. Now, I don't know that anyone was ever brought to Christ by that lawn, but I'm confident we never drove anybody away by making them think that what we did there was not important. Because everything about it said, what we do here is important. You know, the reason for doing our best, whatever it is, is obvious. It's because God gave his best for us. We don't practice a minimalist faith because we don't have a minimalist savior. We don't have a bare bones salvation. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded for faith for a salvation that is to be revealed in the last time. That's the kind of salvation we have. That's the kind of faith that we have. We have an inheritance waiting for us. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. Not one thing will be missing from it. Whenever you and I get there, it will be everything that God wants it to be. It will be absolutely glorious. We will be so thrilled and so blessed to be there. And it all came about because God gave his best. And the question then is, how can we not do our best? It costs Jesus his life. That's why Paul said, whatever you do. And he even applied that to the work of Christian slaves. If you look in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24, just a few verses after he said, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, he said this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance, just like Peter talked about, that same inheritance, as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So he says to these Christians who are slaves, and that's not the happiest kind of circumstance to be in in life, is it? But he says, when you do your work, you do it as though you're working for Jesus because you belong to him. You are serving the Lord Christ, he said. That's what we have to remember, that no matter where we are or what we're doing, we are serving the Lord Christ, and that calls for the very best that we can give it, whatever it is. So we don't really have the option to be quiet quitters in the church. Why? Because God gave his very best for us. And also, if we give less than our best for him, we're going to turn away a lot of people that he has sent us into the world to win. 
1902, a Baptist minister named Howard Gross composed a song that's not in most of our hymnals anymore. It's not in ours. That may be a sign of the times. It's called Give of Your Best to the Master. The language may be a bit archaic, but the sentiment expressed in that song is timeless. Here are the last two stanzas. Give of your best to the master. Give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service. Consecrate every part. Give, and to you will be given. God, his beloved son, gave. Gratefully seeking to serve him. Give him the best that you have. Give of your best to the master. Naught else is worthy his love. He gave himself for your ransom. Give to his glory above. Laid down his life without murmur. You from sin's ruin to save. Give him your heart's adoration. Give him the best that you have. You know, in order to give your best to the master, you got to start by giving him your life. What did Jesus say? In Mark chapter 8, verse 36. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You've got to give yourself first. Everything you have, the rest will follow. That means you start by confessing who he is, that he is the one who died to save you, and by turning away from sin. And by acknowledging that you have to have your sins washed away by his blood. And so you are buried with him in the act of baptism. And you rise to walk in a new life. A life that is lived in his service. So that whatever you're doing from that day forward. You're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you're ready to make that commitment today. And start living that life. We want to invite you to come. Let's stand together and sing. Soldiers of Christ, the 